Welcome to Quick Brain, bite-sized brain hacks for busy people who want to learn faster and achieve more. I'm your coach, Jim Quick. Free your mind. Let's imagine if we could access 100% of our brain's capacity. I wasn't high, wasn't wired, just clear. I knew what I needed to do and how to do it. I know Kung Fu. Show me. Welcome back to the Quick Brain Podcast. I am your host and your brain coach, Jim Quick, and I am excited about this topic. We're going to talk about how to reach your wouldn't go back moment. And you might be thinking, what is it? And I'm going to say, this is something you want to pay attention to. This is going to be a transformative conversation. And one of the reasons why is as our guest, we have Jason Pfeiffer. He's the editor in chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, and he's the author of a brand new book called Build for Tomorrow, an action plan for embracing change, adapting fast, and future-proofing your career. Thanks for being on the show, Jason. Oh, Jim, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. We, we titled this conversation something to do with wouldn't go back moment. Maybe we could start with defining what is a wouldn't go back moment. So I noticed through the pandemic, you know, the pandemic was a fascinating experiment because everybody went through the same change at the same time. And then you got to watch what happened afterward. And I saw that some people seemed naturally adaptive. They seemed to be able to move through these disruptive experiences with, I mean, ease is maybe overstating it, but faster than others. And, and I, I got to wonder, I got to wondering what was it that was driving their ability to do that? But I also noticed, and, and this is really where we get to the wouldn't go back moment, I noticed that everybody, regardless of if they were really good at adapting to change or they were really bad at it, they all went through change in the same four phases, which was panic. That's the first one. Then adaptation. I mean, everybody's familiar with that, right? Like possibly there are people listening right now who are still in that phase, which is understandable. We've all experienced it. So panic, adaptation, new normal, and then wouldn't go back. And wouldn't go back is that moment where someone says, I have something so new and valuable that I wouldn't want to go back to a time before I had this. And I realized that that is available to everybody. And I think that the thing that drives success and drives people's ability to identify opportunity in change is their belief in the wouldn't go back moment. They know that moving through these painful phases has a purpose because ultimately they will get there. And so I wanted to help people get there basically as fast as possible. First people panic. And I think everyone could see themselves in the past couple of years. And then we, we adapted and then we found a new normal. And then finally, we reach a phase where we could not even have imagined in the beginning, right? That moment we realized where we wouldn't go back. Can we give a couple examples, maybe a, a large example, and maybe something like a macro and then also a micro? Sure. Well, I mean, if we're going big, I think that one, one thing that everybody can relate to is new ways of working. Right. This is something that we we have all in some way shifted the way that we work. I, I now, for example, work completely remotely. I mean, you, you and I are talking right now. I'm I'm in Maine with my in-laws, but I'm also working. And now this is not weird, but years ago it was. And so I think that that's a really powerful way of thinking because here's here's the important thing to remember. It's not like remote work was invented three years ago. Right. It was always available to us. It was always an idea that was around, but we didn't take it seriously. And that I think is a really key element 
to reaching wouldn't go back is that oftentimes what we're doing is we're reconsidering the impossible. I, 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 I called around to experts and I asked, what is it about disruptive moments that drive our ability to find wouldn't go back moments? And my favorite answer came from this guy named Brian Berkey, who was a Wharton professor. And he said that moments of disruption cause us to shift the window on what we're willing to collectively take seriously, which is to say that, you know, there's a broad band of options in front of us at any time, but we, we limit them. We have to, right? Uh, you, you talk a lot about how your brain is a, is a filtering mechanism, right? We we can't possibly consider and engage with every single idea all the time. We don't have the time or the bandwidth for it. So we make a little window. We make a little window that we look through. And when we do that, we leave out all these other valuable, really powerful ideas. And we say, you know, the things that are in our little window are the good ideas, the important ideas, the, the possible ideas. And everything else is mm, impossible, too difficult. And moments of disruption can can force us to look outside of that and discover that some of the best ideas were the ones that we had left outside. So anyway, so that's big. I'll give you a small example. I talked to this woman. Her name is Lena. She runs a wig store in Baltimore uh, called Lena's Wigs. And it used to be operated as a storefront. So people would walk in off the street and they would shop for wigs. And, and that's how she thought she had to run her business. And as a result, she also, she had an employee who would greet people who would walk in. Pandemic arrives. She cannot operate like a storefront anymore. People can't walk in. What is she going to do? Well, the first thing that she can think of, the only thing she can think of is to do appointment-only viewing. Now, again, this is not some radical idea. This is something that she had left outside of her window. She said, this is a terrible idea, too much friction. Who wants to make an appointment to come in and shop? I don't want to do that. I want to have my storefront. But when she moves to appointment-only, because she was forced to, something fascinating happens. Number one, consumer happiness goes up. Her customers are happier. And then number two, sales and profits rise. Why? Well, because as it turns out, her re her customer <laughs> was not exactly who she thought it was. So she was running the storefront. She was paying somebody to greet people who were coming in off the street. You know who doesn't buy wigs, Jim? People who walk in randomly off the street. They like to browse. They like to look. They're not buying. You know who is buying? People who are buying for really personal reasons, often medical or religious. They are very happy to make an appointment, have a private showing where they're not trying on a wig with a bunch of randos who walked in off the street. So here Lena was paying somebody to greet people who were not her customer, and she was in fact creating a worse experience for her customer. And then this disruption forced her to reach her wouldn't go back moment where she did something she would have said was crazy before. And instead, it transformed her business. In, in a way, when I was reading this book and I could see myself in it, you know, for myself, my family, friends going through things, uh, our team, this book gets you through the, those first three phases so that you could arrive at your wouldn't go back moment. For this example, she probably panicked, you know, yes. right? she adapted. Mm -hmm. And then she found a new normal and she wouldn't go back to what the way it was. She couldn't even imagine that being the case. And so you, in the book, it's interesting because for this re kind of reinvention, it's not about grit then, right? This is a process, according to your book, that, that anybody could learn. Yeah, it is. It, it absolutely is. I mean, look, I think that you will get through it. Here's the crazy thing about change. First of all, it's not optional. So it's coming for you regardless. And also you're going to get through it regardless right? We, we, we just do. And so I think the best thing that we can do is to be mindful that we are going through a process and that we have some control over it. One of the worst things that we can do for ourselves is to feel like we do not have control, that things are simply happening to us. And that's, that's not the case. We always have some way to shape the things that we do. We can be proactive about learning new skills, about developing new connections, about thinking bigger about what we are and who we are. And 
we could also be very aware of wealth. I mean, you know, let, let's talk for a second about 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 like being aware of of what our brains are doing to process our information. Because I mean, look, you know, you, you know, you know the brain well. I imagine your audience is is obviously very fascinated by this. So let me tell you one of the most fascinating brain things that that I learned in in reporting this book, which is I talk to a lot of people who one of the reasons that they struggle with change is because they are feeling nostalgic for what came before. You know, and and I think that that holds them back because they think, well, what came before was better, and maybe was maybe was even some kind of luck. Like the reason that I have the success that I have was because I lucked out; I was in the right position at some period of time. And as a result, we are so focused on the past that we aren't willing to embrace the future. So I was talking not long ago with some memory researchers, particularly uh, this one guy, Philippe Debregard at Duke University, and and they told me about this really interesting thing that happens in our brain called fading affect bias. Familiar with the term? Yeah. So, okay, fading affect bias, which which in, in sort of simplistic terms means that the emotions associated with bad memories will fade much faster than the emotions associated with good memories. And the reason why... This happens, these researchers told me, is because the brain is not supposed to be a recording device. It's not like the microphones that we're using right now. That would be purposeless. The brain's job is not to create a record for you of everything that you ever did. The brain's job is to help you move forward in the future. And if you were able to immediately pull up all the terrible emotions that are associated with bad memories, well, boy, you'd get yanked backwards into the past all the time. And and that's not what the brain is for. That's not good for us. So instead, our brain kind of deletes those things. It doesn't mean that we forget bad memories. And of course, trauma can change this, but that's just that. And then also, I learned that memories are not stored like files, which is to say that they're not some complete object that you can recall. Instead, a memory, an experience is broken up into a bazillion little pieces and stored differently in your brain. Every time you remember it, it's basically reassembling it on the fly. And as it does it, Philippe Debregard at Duke University told me, he's like, it's like a paleontologist putting together dinosaur bones, which is to say you're going to have all these fragments of bones and there are going to be little gaps and you got to fill those gaps in with something. Now, the paleontologist does it with the best knowledge about what the dinosaur looked like. We do it with our imagination, because it turns out that memory and imagination are very closely associated in the brain. And so here we have this situation where we are forgetting some of the worst parts of our worst experiences, and we are also not fully remembering something from the past, and we're filling in those gaps with imagination, which is to say that a lot of the nostalgia that we have for something that came before us is kind of made up. And when you really push yourself, and I've done this myself, and you know, Jim, maybe you have too, but like when I've really pushed myself to say, you know, you know, this job, like, like, for example, I, when I worked at Boston Magazine, uh, it was my first magazine job. I did really great there. I had made good friends. I did good work. And then I was really afraid to take the next job that was offered to me, which was men's health, which would have moved me to New York. It was a big opportunity. And I, I, I was thinking, you know, maybe should I say no to this? Because I don't know that I can repeat my success at Boston Magazine. But, but... Then I push myself to be like, well, okay, this has been a really good experience, but am I forgetting things? Oh, yes, I am. I'm forgetting the time where I messed up a story so bad that a staff writer yelled at me and wouldn't talk to me for weeks. I I, I forgot that time where I, I, I didn't know how to edit an article. and They literally took it away from me and gave it to somebody else. Like There were all these bad things that I had just forgotten. And this is good. I think that we should own our failures because what it does is it shows us that we have the ability, the innate ability to navigate difficult things and to see the upside in our own experience. And if we can do it once, boy, we can do it again. We have that control. We are not at the mercy of whip. So Jason, if you were to give 
our audience maybe just one one takeaway and i and the takeaway really should to get your copy <laughs> of your book there's so much usable practical content you're you're an amazing storyteller and there's so many things for people to do to implement right away to help them through these four phases to be able to come out at the end and and have those moments that we talked about that they wouldn't change where's a good place for them to start let's say they i highly recommend people buy the books and get three copies one for themselves gift out a couple to to friends family members teammates if there's something that they could do after they finish listening to this conversation what would what would you say i think that the best thing that you can do is to ask yourself three questions. And these three questions come out of this observation about how we often experience change as loss, and then we start to extrapolate the loss. And I think that we need to shortcut that. And, and, and a simple way to do that is to ask yourself just the three basic questions here. And, and so let me, let me tell you what they are. Number one, what is this new thing that I'm doing? Should be pretty easy to answer that. And then let's dig a little deeper. Number two, what new habit or skill Am I learning as a result? And then once you're now thinking about how the thing that you're doing kind of drives some sort of tactic or some takeaway, ask yourself and just be just 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 be really serious about it. How can that be put to good use? How can that be put to good use? Because I, I realize that it may be difficult. You might be saying, well, you know, the, my job just changed the way that we do these things and it's really annoying and I, I hate it. But I don't care about that. Put that to the side because that's not that useful, right? I mean, we're talking about usefulness here. And the only thing that is useful is trying to figure out how can this be put to good use. And I have found that once I run myself through these little questions, I find that you know, this thing that I didn't want to do or, you know, the changes to the way in which I was communicating with people or the opportunities that I had in my, in my own career, that once I started to ask, how can this be put to good use? I started to realize, well, you know what? It can be. And if I don't know exactly how it can be put to use, then I, then I start. I start to figure it out. I start to experiment. I think that we do not do enough experimentation in our own lives. We should think of things as experiments. Not everything has to be a permanent decision. And the more that we drive ourselves through this quick little mental exercise, and the more that we can reframe the changes that we have as changes that can drive positive outcomes, and then it is our job and our opportunity to take advantage of them. Listeners, if you if you want to have more of those you know, one change moments. If you want to adapt more quickly, if you want to use the the power of change to your advantage, I think there, in every disadvantage, there certainly is an advantage. And Jason has access to the smartest minds in business. And in this book, he's giving you, he's extracted some of the best practical wisdom so that you could go out there and act on it right now. And so where can people get the get their copies of the book? Uh, so thanks. So you can get it literally anywhere you buy books. Amazon, a perfectly fine place. And if if for some reason you cannot think of a place that sells books, which, uh, well, then I will help you, which is at jasonpfeiffer.com slash book, uh, has links to uh, every retailer. But, but truly, uh, go on to Amazon, search for Build for Tomorrow. You will find the book. Absolutely. So if you want to thrive in these times of change, this really starts with, you know, your message is, is changing yourself. Right, you change yourself, and you could, you could change your life. You change 
yourself. You can, you can change the world. And I would challenge everybody actually to take a screenshot of this and, and post it. Maybe if you have one aha or an example that you want to share with your followers, your fans, your friends, and make sure you tag Jason. I'm at Hey Pfeiffer at H-E-Y-F-E-I-F-E-R. Perfect. So tag Jason so we see it. Tag myself. I'll actually gift a copy of Build for Tomorrow to one person who does that. So when you tag us, I'll get to see it because I love gifting gifting books. But I highly recommend everybody get two or three copies for themselves. Go to jasonviper.com forward slash book. Go go on Amazon. You know, we know you read to succeed. Jason has decades of experience and he's put into his book and you can download it in a handful of days. And that's that's an incredible advantage for our, for our quick readers out there. Jason, thank you so much for coming on our show. Oh, well, Jim, thank you for all that. Thank you for everything that you do. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to stress one more time because you said it earlier in our conversation, you know, you know this subject better than anybody. Uh, th- our brain is meant to change, which meant that our lives are meant to change. And the greatest thing that we can do is be aware of that and embrace it and then find the opportunity that comes next. There's so much of it. Change your brain, you change your life. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you, everybody who's listening. Again, make sure you check out the show notes at jimquick.com forward slash notes with a link to Jason's website, links to his books and podcasts and so much more. And until next time, everybody, she be limitless. Want to double your brain speed and memory power? If you'd like to learn rapidly and get ahead faster, I'd like to give you my brand new Quick Brain Accelerator program. You will discover exactly what I teach my clients to learn, read, and remember anything in half the time. There is no charge. It's my gift to you for being one of our subscribers. That's kwikbrain.com. Growing up struggling with learning challenges from a childhood brain injury, it's been my life's mission to help you have your very best brain so you can win more every single day. Now, want more quick brain? Here are four ways to fast track your results and lock in what you just learned into your long-term memory. Remember fast, F-A-S-T. The F stands for Facebook. You're not alone on this journey. I invite you to join our free private online group. There you can connect with me, your fellow brain lovers, links to resources, and even submit your questions for me to answer in future episodes. Go to quickbrain.com. That's K-W-I-K brain.com. The A stands for apply. Act on what you learned today. Remember, knowledge is not power. It's potential power. It only becomes power when you use it. So use what you just learned. The S stands for subscribe. Don't miss the next episode and other free brain training. And finally, the T stands for teach. You want to learn faster now? The key is to lock it in right away by teaching it to someone else. When you teach something, you get to learn it twice. Here's a simple way to do that. Leave a review on iTunes. Leave a review with your biggest takeaway from this episode. You could also post and share this podcast on your social media. It helps us spread our mission of building better, brighter brains. And of course, tag us so our team can properly thank you. Hashtag quick brain, K-W-I-K brain. Mine is at Jim Quick, K-W-I-K, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So what does FAST stand for? Facebook, apply, subscribe, teach. I'll see you in our next episode of Quick Brain. Until then, remember, you are faster and smarter than you think. 
I hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you want to go deeper with many of these authors that we have on our podcast, these experts, I want to invite you to join our quick success program. This is our monthly lives that I do, where I teach something brand new that we haven't taught before, answer your burning questions. And also we have something that people have been requesting for many years, a quick book club. This is your Limitless Book Club, where every single month we read a book together, uh, like a book provided by this author. And then we get the author to come online and join us for a one hour, uh, share going deeper in these strategies, how to put them into practice. Uh, I share my five tips for how to memorize things out of these books. Many people want to read a book a month or build up to that. And this would be the program. So if you want to join, just go to quicksuccess.com and get your spot and join us live and get to meet these authors very uh, up close and personal. And uh, back to the episode.